Turn in your Bibles tonight to Isaiah chapter 40. The text for the sermon tonight is going to be found in verses 27 to the end of the chapter. What we're going to do is we're going to read the first 11 verses of the chapter, and then we will go to the end. And now in between there, the Bible is talking about God's incomparable glory as the one true and living God in, in contrast to all idols. Isaiah 40 begins with the memorable words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry! And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And then go ahead to verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In our text, God predicts what the people of Judah will say when they are captives in Babylon. 
So off in the future, hundreds of years in the future, when the people of Judah are captives in a strange land, God says, you're going to say these things. And kids, you know the story. You know the story about how King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Chaldeans, took his armies and went up against Jerusalem. He captured Daniel and his three friends, took them back as captives to a strange land where they need to learn Chaldean and go to Babylon University. Well, back in Judah, there was another rebellion. And so guess what Nebuchadnezzar did? He came again. He brought his armies. He destroyed Jerusalem at the time. The temple was burned, and more of the people of God, the covenant people, were taken as captives to a strange land. And now in our text, in Isaiah 40, verse 27, God tells us what these Jews will say as captives in Babylon in the far-off future. And this is what they will say. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. So God says the covenant people, in the future they will say, God doesn't see what's going on in our lives. He doesn't see the situation we're in. He's not giving relief, so he must be ignorant of what's going on. So they have wicked doubts about God's knowledge of what they're going through. And then they say, and my right is disregarded by my God. They're saying, the Chaldeans are hurting us. They're acting in unjust ways towards us. They're oppressing us. And God's letting them get away with murder. God is not vindicating our cause. Apparently he's not able to. So notice they're saying two things. One, God appears to be ignorant of the trials we're going through. And number two, he isn't exercising any power to vindicate us like he lacks it. So God is ignorant and he's an unjust judge. Now, sometimes you and I can think like those captive people. Maybe we don't even dare say it like they do, but we think it. People wrong us, and we hurt, and we say, where is God? Why is it that people wrong us, and they seem to get away with it, and they prosper? Or we're going through hard times, and we think and act like God isn't aware of our situation as the loving Father and just judge that he is. Now, our text is a rebuttal of these claims. What you have in verses 28 and following is a rebuttal of this all. And what we find in the rest of the text is that, no, God knows exactly what you are going through. God is not ignorant. He is the omniscient God. He knows the trials that you and I are going through. And then God also asserts that he is powerful that he's the omnipotent God, and he's able to help us and give us strength in our weakness. What I love, too, is that we find here that God not only gives power to the weak, he not only gives power to us in our weakness, but he increases strength, we're even told. So this is a very optimistic claim. Now, we can come to this text tonight kind of with a number of different different 
from different angles. There's some of us might come to church tonight and we're desperate for help. We have great trials in our life. And we come into God's house feeling like I can hardly go on. And so we have a a sense that I, I need desperately the strength that comes from God. And the message here is for you if you're in that situation. I mean, last week, I preached the same sermon, and guess what? In the prophets of God, I preached at a church where a family had just lost a child. For others of us, we're going through the normal trials of life. We're struggling, we face our own sins, our weaknesses, but ongoing trials, but we realize, yes, in the midst of my trials, I need help. I need God's ongoing help. Well, then this passage also speaks to us. God is the God who empowers. The title of my sermon is very optimistic. Mounting up with wings like eagles. We're going to look at the meaning of that, and then secondly, the possibility of us doing that, and third, the significance of this. The Holy Spirit paints for us in our text two different portraits, strikingly different portraits. The first portrait is of young men getting wearied. If you look at verse 30, we read, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. And then there's a big contrast between young men and youth who are the picture of strength, falling down, exhausted, and then on the other hand, the children of God, even the elderly children of God, being empowered so they can soar on wings like an eagle. But the first picture is of us in our natural weakness, in our spiritual weakness, in our psychological weakness, in our emotional weakness, in all the weaknesses that we have. God says, apart from my grace, even young men will exhaust their strength and fall to the ground exhausted. Notice God doesn't say, well, it's just, you know, elderly people who are getting older. They're the people who will get exhausted. No, God picks People who have the most strength, the most energy, just go to a youth convention. Watch the kids. They play so hard all day long. And then at night, it doesn't seem like they even sleep that much. And the next day, what what happens? They're up again, and they have all that energy, all that excitement. Youth have proverbial strength and energy. Think of a scene of of people from a number of different ages trying to run a marathon. So I'm over 50. Imagine, imagine some of us over 50 would have said, okay, we're going to have a church event, and we're going to run a marathon. So some of us over 50, we haven't practiced much. What happens when we start running on a 90-degree day? Well, you know, I can probably make it to that five-mile mark, and then it's going to be walking after there. Some of you guys in the 30s, you know, you're probably in a little better shape. You're going to make it a little further. But the picture is of this. Even you teenage boys, you guys in your early 20s who have so much energy, and you can just go to the Grand Canyon, you can hike, and you can hike, and you can hike. 
The picture is even the young men in the congregation running in a race like this, and they get to that 15-mile mark, and then what happens? Even youth shall faint and be weary, feel lightheaded, and have to stop. And the young men shall fall exhausted. I used to run the mile in high school. What would happen sometime even after just one mile? Some of the guys would be racing against, we'd run one mile, we'd get to the end, and guys would be falling on the, round, on the ground and making a mess of things. Exhausted, wearied. That's the picture here. Now, the whole point here is that what happens even to young men and youth who are in the vigor of youth and have all that strength doesn't happen, doesn't happen to those who wait on the Lord, as we're going to see. So the picture here is of young men absolutely exhausted, fainting, falling to the ground. Well, that's us apart from grace. That's us in our emotional weakness. You know, just this week, you know, what if you get in some type of fight with someone, a disagreement? How do you deal with that emotionally? How do you deal with things spiritually? We can have little, little satanic temptations and attacks on us, and right away we're overcome or we surrender. We are so weak in ourselves. That's a picture of us apart from grace. Remember how Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first reality we meet here is that in ourselves, we become weak and faint. But there's a second scene here, which is a remarkable contrast. That's why verse 31 begins with a word, the word but, to contrast it with what comes before. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here we have a radically different scene, and we actually have three metaphors here. The first, though, is of you as a Christian. Yes, us imperfect, weak children of God. Suddenly, you and I as believers, this is how we're pictured. We're pictured like an eagle. It's like with our wings, we're able to mount up. That is, we're able to take off in powerful flight. We're able to fly. I don't say that we soar above the trials of life or soar above the temptations that are fired at us, but we do soar through them. But we do soar, we fly, we mount up like a powerful eagle. Apparently you have some eagles in the Grand Rapids area because some of my Facebook friends are showing pictures of them at a park in town. Summer I've seen an eagle, I've seen more hawks. Hawks too are a picture of strength. They can soar. But eagles are even bigger yet, with a bigger wingspan, a picture of power and might and strength. And that is how God pictures you, his beloved children. But not only that, but he also pictures you as a runner. He says, they shall run and not be weary. Now the pictures of you as a marathoner, and you're running a race, and the race is hard and long, but you endure, and you keep on keeping on. And then the last part The last metaphor is of you walking, walking on a pilgrimage. We're on a pilgrimage that that is on a narrow path. It's a winding, difficult path. Just read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. He describes what it's like to walk on this narrow path that leads to life. It's a path filled with all kinds of trials, but look what happens. God says we walk and we don't faint. We don't get tired. We don't get lightheaded. We keep walking and putting one foot after another. 
Now, the first-tier metaphor is, is, I think, the most remarkable one. The Christian. Yes, you, beloved, soaring with power like an eagle, mounting, taking off, flying in the sky. I almost think that, you know, it's a picture of like how the Holy Spirit, who is the breath of God, the wind of God, it's like, it's like he is under our wings and by the power of the Holy Spirit we're, we're empowered so they can fly through the trials of life. This is the Christian life. My mother-in-law just passed away at age 94. And you know what? She was falling apart physically the last few years. She used to be taller. She was short, all hunched over. Her outward form was wasting away, but guess what was happening? Inside, by the power of the Spirit, she was soaring like an eagle. She walked in faith. Oh, she was so grateful and filled with joy in the Lord, even though she was so weak and so suffering. That is the Christian as an eagle. So we receive from the Holy Spirit a surge of power. So God here compares his graced people, you who are strengthened by the power of his grace, did you know in the Bible, the word grace often carries the idea of you know, unmerited favor, but also it can have the connotation of power. God gives us strength, powerful grace that is unmerited. We don't deserve it. We deserve the opposite. He gives us this might so that we can repent of our sins, say no to sin, reach out and love to people around us. Now, I think it's striking that the Bible uses this metaphor to describe you and me. Because did you know that the Bible uses this metaphor of the power of an eagle to picture God? So that's quite something. If you turn back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 32, you will see that God uses this metaphor for himself. Deuteronomy 32, and look at verse 11. There we read, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with the honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. There God's word says, God was like an eagle. And when God, with his might, delivered his people out of Egypt and destroyed Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea, God is pictured as a powerful eagle that is carrying the Israelites on his wings, on his pinions. It's like the Israelites are a bunch of little eaglets, and God is powerfully delivering them from bondage in Egypt. We find the same picture used in Exodus 19, verse 4. In Exodus 19, verse 4, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So notice here, God takes the power and might of an eagle and says, I am like a mighty eagle and I delivered you. It's interesting that in Psalm 81, verse 10, we apparently have a metaphor where God is saying that he is like an eagle and we, his people, are like little eaglets who need to be fed. You know, this summer I found 
that a, a blackbird was making a mess on my propane tank. So I went and opened the propane tank, and under there, yes, there were all these four little baby birds. And what did they do even when I opened the top of the tank? Up came their mouths, looking for food. That's how we're pictured in Psalm 81, verse 10. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But now see the metaphor changes in Isaiah. Now it isn't God who is the eagle, it is us, God's people. God says, no, his covenant people whom he empowers are like a mighty eagle and they mount up and fly like an eagle. We are God's eagle Christians. We've been born again, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can soar and fly through trials. You know, any power we might think we have in ourselves, or any wisdom we might think we have in ourselves, we have to, we have to reject all that and say, no, I need the wisdom, I need the power, I need the strength. That comes from God, which is real spiritual power. And by this strengthening grace, we have strength to mount up. The Apostle Paul says that because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work, he can do all things. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, Christ is the source of power. Notice Paul is very, very broad there. He says, I can do all things. That's what we're seeing here in Isaiah too. All the trials of life. I don't care what trials we're going through, whether they're little trials, the sort of ordinary trials we face, or whether they're the huge trials that challenge our faith so that we have this desperate need for help. Whatever the circumstances, Paul says, I can do all, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Whatever the trial is for Paul, remember it's incarceration, it's getting beat on. You know, the ultimate source of this power that God gives to us so that we can fly like this has its source in eternal election. The Apostle Paul blesses God in Ephesians 1. He says, because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God set his love upon us in eternity. And in time, he also now empowers us so that we can be holy. We can be holy. We can be empowered because of Christ and his work. Christ's atoning work when he paid for us, how he paid for our sins, how he, by a righteous life, earned for us everlasting life. And all these graces makes it possible for us to have power. So whatever trials we're going through, it's possible for us to have this mighty strength because Christ has earned it for us. Christ, by a perfect life, has merited for us grace. The messianic activity of Jesus was predicted in Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 11, there we read about the work of the Messiah. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead 
those that are with young. Christ is the good shepherd. He has given his life for us. He has earned for us power to go through the trials of life and to endure and to fly. Christ has also paid for all of our sins. You know, sometimes we can be like the Israelites. We can think God is far distant. God is not there to help us. But in this chapter in the Bible, too, we have that marvelous celebration of forgiveness. Verse 2 says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Because of Christ's work, we can be pardoned. Now that is an astonishing reality. Can you imagine what it would be like if in my classroom we got the news while we're sitting in class that one of my students had been pardoned by the governor of Illinois? It has happened before. Not They weren't in our class when it happened. But what do you think would happen if the news would come that one of my students had been pardoned by the governor? I can tell you what would happen. There would be celebration. There would be happiness. That's the marvel of what Christ has done for us. Christ has earned for us a pardon. The God of the universe, the judge of all, has said, your sins are all washed away. And not only does God wash away all of our sins, he gives us the right to eternal life. And Christ has not only earned for us the right to eternal life, but he's earned for us the power to fly like eagles and to walk and run and not be weary. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 19 celebrates how God gives mighty power to us. He there talks about how, how amazing is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And Paul points out that that was evidenced in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. But notice he talks about the greatness of God's power that is displayed towards us that is displayed to in God upholding us and strengthening us every single day. Now, how is it possible for us to mount up with wings like eagles? Well, the word of God here tells us that there are two reasons why it is possible for us to mount up with wings like eagles. The people in Babel and the captives apparently thought that it wasn't possible for them to mount up with wings like eagles. They thought that they had crashed and there was no help for them, no assistance. But God responds to that. Notice how he responds with some rhetorical questions in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? And then what God asserts here is that it is possible for him to empower his people because he is the omniscient God who is also the omnipotent God. And then the second thing we will see is that it is possible for those who wait on the Lord to mount up with eagles' wings. But first we want to look at these rhetorical questions and what God's word says here in verse 28. Notice that in response to uh, the doubting People in Babylon, God says in verse 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Notice what God asserts. For one, God mentions his names. He says, I am Jehovah. That's why we have 
the word Lord in capital letters. He is Yahweh. He is the I am who I am. Don't you love how Jesus at one time when he was in a conflict with the opponent said, before Abraham was, I am. And it's like the ground under his opponents was reeling because they realized that Jesus of Nazareth was saying that he was Jehovah God. God asserts, he says, I am Jehovah. He is the unchanging God of the covenant, rock solid in his covenant commitments to you, his people, and that's why he will take care of you too. He is unchanging in every one of his glorious attributes. He is the God who is. And then also the Spirit here asserts that he is the everlasting God. And the word God, the name Elohim, does have connotations of power and might. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. He is the everlasting God. He is unchanging in all of his glorious attributes. And then also it is asserted that he is the creator of the ends of the earth. And if God is the mighty creator of the ends of it, that is everything to the very utmost part of the world. God created everything in, in the world in six days, everything. If he is the mighty creator, then is it really the case that he cannot wield his power to help you in your trial? And the Lord Jesus Christ, too, of course, is the one by whom and for whom all things were created. And so first God asserts through these revelatory names how he, no, he is a God who can assist and help his people. He is not ignorant of what is going on. And then God says, he does, here the, the Bible says about God, he does not faint or grow weary. Isn't that great? It's not like God ever is working and he gets all tuckered out and he's so tired and He's like upholding the universe and he's getting red in the face and, and needs to stop and take a break. No, remember how Jesus made the point that when he was attacked, you know, by his opponents for doing healing miracles on the Sabbath day, he said, my father works hitherto. That is, my father upholds and governs the entire universe also on the Sabbath day. No, God does not fade. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't get faint and have to sit down. He is the omnipotent God. He has all the power in the universe. He is the source of all power. So God is omnipotent. No, he is able to help us in our trials. He is able to give us power. And then the Bible here at the end of verse 28 talks about how God, he knows. God is the God who knows. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about your body, your health, whether there are any, there's any cancer in your system. He knows everything about your thoughts. We're told his understanding is unsearchable. The Jews would say, my way is hidden from the Lord. No, the prophet come back, comes back and says, no, his understanding is unsearchable. You know, we're so different. The limits to our knowledge is always evident to us. For example, I could give you an exam on soteriology like I give to my students, and when I would read your answers to the exam questions, I would say, you have a limited knowledge of this truth. You could ask me questions on a whole variety of things, and what would you soon discover? That there are limits to my knowledge. 
But here the prophet says, no, with God, that's not the case. There is no searching of his understanding. God is the omniscient God. He knows all things that can be known. There are no limits. He is incomprehensible in his infinite knowledge. So the point here is that he knows. God is the God who knows. He knows what you're going through. He knows how people have attacked you. He knows how you're hurting. So God asserts his omnipotence and his omniscience. And the point is this, since God is all-powerful, he doesn't faint and he doesn't get weary, and because he knows all things, and he's our beloved covenant God and Father, no, he will vindicate us. He will hear our prayers in his time. So that's the first thing. That's why it's possible for us to mount up with wings like eagles, because our God is omnipotent, he's able to empower us, And he knows the situations we're going through, so he's able to give us just the right strength we need to fly through those troubles. Secondly, it is possible for us to mount up with wings like eagles as we wait upon the Lord. Look at verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Who is given this divine strength? Who is given the strength to fly like an eagle? Who is given strength to run and not be weary? Just everyone? Is every Joe blow? No. We're told only those who wait on the Lord. So we better know what it means to wait on the Lord because we need strength in the midst of our trials. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Well, the first thing that jumps out, it does mean exactly that. It means we are to wait patiently at times. Now I know for us Americans, that word wait is like, is not a nice word. It's like we don't like it if we're going through a fast food restaurant and the person says, would you please pull into that parking lot and wait? Sometimes we need to wait on the Lord. That's the whole point. Our timing is not always the timing of our Heavenly Father, who is all wise. So we need to patiently wait for God to vindicate us. But that way, patiently wait on the Lord means that we're waiting there, looking to Him. In plain English, that means we pray. It means we go to God and say, God, I need help. I need strength. Now, sometimes that's just, we can hardly say the cry. It's more like, help, have mercy. But that's what it means to wait on the Lord, to talk to him, to bring our needs to him, to pray. It means that we trust in our Heavenly Father to hear the prayers of his beloved children. It means that we also wait patiently with the expectation that our Heavenly Father will hear our cries and he will vindicate us. I'm always struck by what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 11. Notice how he talks about how we need to have patience and then notice how he even says it's a gift we get from God and then notice what he puts it with. He says, may you be strengthened, he says to the Colossian saints, may you be strengthened with all power. Now that's exactly the sort of thing we're talking about tonight. So notice how he's praying 
May God give you, Colossian saints, strength and power, he says, according to his glorious might. Notice he's affirming the omnipotent power of God. Then he says, for all endurance and patience with joy. So notice what he's saying. He's praying that God would give might to these Christians so that they would not only have endurance, but they would have patience. So it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But then he puts that with the word joy. He says, patience with joy. We don't put those two things together. If we're being patient, we're just kind of unhappily waiting for whatever we're looking for to happen. Paul says, no, you, you can actually have patience with joy. Why? Because we're expecting that God will empower us. He will cause us and empower us by the Holy Spirit to fly. Now, let's be careful here. This waiting on the Lord doesn't mean inactivity on our part. It means the exercise of faith. It means that, let's say you want to go to college, and you're praying, Lord, open the door for me to go to college. You don't say, well, I'm praying to the Lord. I'm just waiting on him, so I'm not going to fill out any application forms. No, the Lord, in his sovereign providence, uses means like that to carry out his purposes. You can't say, well, yeah, I... God, help, help me find a new job. My, my boss is mistreating me. I'm not being paid enough. And, and, then, and then some people try to help you line up for an interview and you don't show up. No, no, we are to be active because the Lord uses all those things. But in all of that, what do we do? Even as we are active, we wait on the Lord. We say, your will be done. So there's two things we need to avoid. One is that we're in, the midst, we're in the midst of these trials and, and we're facing difficulties. One danger is that in pride we just run ahead and we try to do things by our own power. We may not do that. Wait on the Lord. The other danger is that we, 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 we bow out on the Lord like the Israelites would and say, well, he's, he's not here to help us. And so we got to, we're just giving up. No, we need to instead wait on the Lord. Wait. We need to bind ourselves to the Lord and say, He is my God. He is my King. And I trust in Him to help me. John Piper said, You battle the unbelief of impatience by using the promises of God to persuade your heart that God's timing and God's guidance and God's sovereignty are going to take this frustrated, boxed-in, unproductive situation and make something eternally valuable out of it. So it's possible for us to fly, to mount up like eagles by the power of God as God works in us too, this patience, this waiting in the way of patience. God gives us power and strength. So let's now apply this to our life. God knows your situation. He knows your trials. He knows your hurts. And his power and his spirit are available to help you. Isn't it great that God never gets tired? He never needs to sleep. The psalmist celebrates that our God never slumbers or sleeps. No, our God, he never sleeps. He never grows weary. He is powerful, always present. He is our omnipresent God who is able to help us in the midst of whatever trials we face. And here's the thing. In the way of waiting upon the Lord, he will give you the grace to do what he has called you to do. The Lord gives you grace to carry out his calling 
in your life. He gives you the resources you need to endure. I think of William Carey, the great father of modern missions, the groundbreaking missionary to India who translated the Bible into so many different languages. But you know what he said about himself? He said, I'm just a plotter. A plotter, he said. But by the power of grace, he was able to keep plotting. Have a long and successful ministry in the midst of great trials. His wife went insane. She'd make all kinds of crazy charges against him. Yet he plotted on. We also have to tonight admit that no, we have no resources in ourselves to deal with the trials of life. All of our resources are found in Christ. So depend upon Him for strength. Truth, strength comes from the Lord. So we need to humble ourselves and wait on the Lord. And that means we need to pray this week. James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who are the humble? Those who humbly wait on the Lord. Say, the Lord is, he's my wise father. I'll wait on him. And so we need to reject our own supposed strength and instead flee to Christ and find in him the strength we need so that we can soar, so we can run, so that we can walk and find peace in the Lord and peace in his will. And so isn't that an amazing thing this week? We don't enter this new week as as hopeless Christians, as defeatist Christians, thinking I'm not going to make it. No, this is God's word. God says that by the power of his grace, by his might, as you wait upon him, this is what will happen in your life. You will be like this. You will mount up with wings like an eagle. This is you, beloved. Do you believe that? You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. One of my students pointed out to me just recently, he said, the Heidelberg Catechism says, when it talks about what is true faith, it says that true faith means we believe whatsoever God has revealed in his word. God has revealed in his word, but that by the power of his might, as we wait upon him, we will mount up with wings like eagles. So do you believe God's word? By God's grace this week, we can dash ahead in the Christian life, and we can walk. And we can persevere. Just recently, I read a little bit, again, the the story that Bill Bryson wrote, who is a travel writer, who's also a comedian, but he's a comedian as he writes about traveling, and he wrote a book about hiking the Appalachian Trail, the Appalachian Trail, of course, as they call it out there. And he was overweight, and he decides that he's going to hike the Appalachian Trail, and then he gets a buddy of his who's a recovering alcoholic who's got a big gut on him to join him on hiking the Appalachian Trail. And so all the comedy begins. But what Bill Bryson noticed is after weeks of hiking the Appalachian Trail, he realized that what he had to do is simply put one foot after another. He says you hike for an entire day. It just seems like you saw the same scenes as you saw the day before and the week before. All these hills. You climb one mountain, and then you come to a valley, and then it looks just like the same mountain in the valley that you climbed the day before and the day before. Everything's the same. You hike through a creek, and in eight hours, you hike through a creek that looks just like the one you you hike through. But here's the thing. He said he learned 
You just had to keep putting one foot in front of another. And that's why 85-year-old grandmothers have hiked the Appalachian Trail. But see, that's a picture of the Christian life. They shall walk and not faint. Think of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress again. He kept walking. He kept plodding on. And that's a picture of us. In spite of all the trials of life, all the attacks of the enemy, guess what? By God's grace, we continue to hike on that narrow path that leads to the heavenly city. And we will be preserved by God and we will persevere until we reach the Jordan. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can go from strength to strength by the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And all of our boasting is in the Lord Jesus Christ who has delivered us from death and has earned for us all of this powerful might so that we can say no to sin and to the devil. And we can even be like Job in times of great loss and say, the Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we ask that in this coming week you would empower us so that we would never curse you, but instead that we would bless you, our glorious God and Savior. And we reject what the Israelites would say in captivity, and we affirm that you are all-powerful. You know all things. You are never weary. You never slumber. And you also know everything about us, and you are guiding us. And afterwards, you will bring us to glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.